0: Hello and welcome to The Wire, your independent national coverage of current affairs right across Australia on Community and Indigenous Radio. I'm Mamina Shiku coming to you from 3 Z Radio in Melbourne, Victoria. And today on the show...
1: No one could leave their homes. I was practically living on an island in my unit where um, everything around me was cut off,
0: all the roads, trees down... Rain eases in Cairns after Cyclone Jasper, while flood warnings are still active. Australian politicians sign a ceasefire statement for Gaza amid shift in public sentiment. And later today...
2: Before that South event, right, always budget, um, always list what you actually need.
0: Australians projected to break Christmas spending records. We speak to an expert on ways to avoid overspending this Christmas break. We'll have this and more for you over the next half hour. The heavy rain is slowly easing today in far north Queensland after Cyclone Jasper hit the area last Wednesday. The flood warning up in Cairns and nearby regions remain active and emergency services continue helping the community. Member from Cairns FM, Amanda, says she hasn't experienced similar events like this before. And The Wire's Roderick Chambers asked her what she heard when going to the radio station yesterday morning.
3: But Amanda, you were telling me you were coming in this morning and it was incredible. It was just silence. And what was the silence?
1: Oh, it, the silence was a lack of rain. A lack of rain. It, it, <laughs> yes, it's just been an incredible, as, if, as you probably heard, once in a hundred year event. It's just been absolutely devastating. No one could leave their homes. I was practically living on an island in my unit where um, everything around me was cut off, all the roads, trees down. It was just, it was just, honestly, I have no words, it was the most awful feeling to know that you were okay and and all your friends and, and, you know, other people are, are just like, you know, on the roofs of their homes or... Have, have to be evacuated because they water through the houses and i'm sure other listeners that have been through this know exactly what i'm talking about but um today i have to say that the communitys really rallied around all the, the, the people that have um have been impacted by the the cyclone there's been collections of food and clothing and offers of you know they've got rooms available and all sorts of wonderful things the community really has pulled together today people with boats have been going out with their little dinghies and and picking up people that are stranded. Some people have lost um, livestock, so they've been going out and if their livestock's, you know, on their property or they found them on the street, they've been sort of wrangling them and and letting people know that they found them. People yesterday went out to the local animal shelter and rescued all the animals that were out there that were, you know had to be inundated with water and, and took them to their homes and looked after them until, you know, the waters subsided. But, um and cause the, yeah, airport, the, amount of devastation. the airport was
3: closed, wasn't it? Uh, the-, the
1: airport, yeah, funnily enough, I had to take someone to the airport yesterday morning around about 8 o'clock in the morning and it was pretty horrendous then. And I was like, come on, we've got to go. I don't know if I'm going to get home if we don't hurry up and get you there. Luckily, I got home and then within a couple of hours, it had shut down and it was just like... Yeah, planes of water up to the. Uh, it was just. It was just. You have no idea how bad it wow. was. It was just a cut. And um, they were still looking, looking into it today, whether or not they were going to open.
3: Gosh. And the rain has been constant. Has it been like thunder and lightning as well, or is it not that sort of a.
1: No, no, no thunder and lightning at all. It was just full on, non stop. I don't want to say torrential, but heavy rain. And it was just when on and on and on, and you were thinking, oh, it's got to stop soon, it's got to stop soon, and it didn't. And then, you know, no thunder, no lightning. There was um, talk about a thunderstorm coming through, but it didn't come through in, into my area. Um, but, yeah, and then yeah. this morning when I woke up, it was like, gee, it's really quiet out there. What, if something's wrong. And I went out, and it wasn't raining, and I went, mm, I wonder how long this is going to last. But it was a and, chance
3: for you to um, take out your dog, wasn't it?
1: Oh yes, I took yeah. the dog for a little wander, and there there was a still you could see the the, uh, the the branches and trees down and and all that sort of. Um, you know sort of thing that you expect but um, everyone's sort of been holding their breath waiting to see if it's going to come down again but uh, it's been fairly muggy i have to say yeah
3: well you you expect it up there in north queensland because you know you can cope with these sorts of things i think if anything happened down here in sydney people would be uh, completely not coping
1: Uh, well it was funny when um one of the bridges went underwater it was like Personally, for me, I mean, I've only lived here for probably I don't know since 2009, so not as long as many people that have that oh, have been here. What? But when one of the bridges went underwater, I was truly like mortified. It's like I don't believe had that bridge because it's so high up. Mm-hmm. It's like the to goodness, the amount of water just. Uh, just incredible.
3: Yeah, I I can't imagine. We certainly haven't been getting any of that sort of uh, water falling out of the sky here in in old Sydney town. Have you heard about uh, people further north? Uh, I understand there was an Aboriginal community that had to be totally evacuated.
1: Yes, that's right. um, The lower-lying areas uh, up there that are are closer to to, to the water and that sort of thing. They did have to get evacuated, lots of smaller communities up there. But... um, yeah, and thankfully, they're been washing
3: down the, the rivers. That's what people.
1: Yes, think happen. truly, yes, truly. But yeah. there was, but it was there was one um, scene today actually. Was there? So uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's crazy. Oh, yes. I know it's, it sounds quite far fetched, but no, that's
0: truly true. Where
1: there's been chickens, cows, horses, oh, really? crocodiles. Oh. Yeah, there's just been everything.
0: Member at Cannes FM, Amanda. There, ending the story by the wise Roderick Chambers. A statement in support of an immediate ceasefire in Gaza has now been signed by 203 current and former Australian members of Parliament and councillors. This statement follows Australia's support for a resolution calling for a humanitarian ceasefire at last week's UN General Assembly. Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network President Nasir Meshni says the statement shows a disconnect between past policy stances and community sentiment. The wise Calvin Lee asked Mr Meshni the aim of the statement.
4: Well, it outlines the disconnect between so many current serving and former elected representatives of what our government is extolling as a position Australia holds and what members of parliament believe, but also it's a reflection of community sentiment. Through the past 10 weeks, hundreds of thousands and arguably over millions of Australians have come out in the streets, they've rallied, they've signed petitions, they've had direct actions all across this continent saying, enough killing, enough violence, it's time to demand a ceasefire.
5: Has that public support uh, surprised you?
4: It hasn't surprised me in the sense that I've known that there's been a significant support for Palestine and justice for the Palestinians. Our polling before the last federal election indicated that by factors of, depending on, on the political spectrum, Factors of 19 to 1, right down to 7 to 1 amongst liberal voters that support Palestine, support the immediate recognition of Palestine, support the ending of the siege on Palestine. And this is all before over 20,000 Palestinians have been slaughtered, innocent men, women and children in what can only be described as a genocidal apocalypse being rained down upon Gaza. So I'm heartened but not surprised. And the fact that our government continues to roll out lines straight from the Israel lobby um, playbook of Israel having a, a right to defend itself. No country has a right to defend itself against a civilian captive population. And certainly, Australians are well aware what self-defense looks like. And the images we're seeing out of Gaza do not look like self-defense. They look like Biblical revenge.
5: What are some of the reasons we haven't recognized Palestine?
4: I can't believe that we haven't done it. Australia recognized Israel almost 76 years ago. It's past time, past time to recognize Palestine. And certainly the events that are unfolding in front of us now in Gaza surely highlight to the Western world that it it is past time for Palestine to be elevated to beyond legitimate aspirations for self-determination. Whilst Israel exists, it's time for Palestine to exist in a Western narrative. And it should be, Australia should be joining the 140 other countries that recognise Palestine. We don't need to be country number 193, the last country on Earth.
5: As support grows for the ceasefire, I mean, just recently the, the UK Prime Minister joined in, in the list calling for a sustainable peace fire. Are you hopeful at all that we could see a ceasefire by Christmas?
4: Well, I'm so hopeful. It's all I pray for is that we can stop the killing. But beyond a ceasefire, we need a cease siege, we need a cease occupation, we need a cease settlement, we need to cease apartheid in Palestine. This system of privileging one people over another from the river to the sea, where only 50% of the population is free, needs to end. We ended it in South Africa. Through boycott, divestment, and sanctions. And it's time for Australia to be on the right side of history and to boycott, divest, and sanction apartheid in Palestine, the apartheid state of Israel, until there is peace for all.
5: In the statement, it says, We call on the Australian government to examine its relationship with Israel. So, really, my question is, what does examine mean?
4: Australia voted, was the first country to recognise Israel in 1948. So, we need to examine what that recognition meant. It meant the recognition an acceptance of the dispossession of 750,000 Palestinians who were ethnically cleansed, driven from their homes at the end of a bayonet into refugee status. The 2.2 million people living live in Gaza now, those hostages to a 17-year air, land and sea blockade, who for 10 weeks have not had gas, electricity, food, water and medicine, that those people are human beings too, that it's time for Australia to have a look at the middle power and exert its diplomatic weight to enable a conversation that allows for justice to occur for all people. Australia has significant weight diplomatically that exceeds our population, and we need to be using it. We need to be using it to restore worldwide confidence in international law into a rules-based order because the global South is looking at this and says, well, hold on a second, we know exactly what the world did When Russia invaded and occupied the Ukraine, why is there this hypocrisy? Why is there a duplicity to what's happening in Palestine?
5: For the people at home who don't know, what can they do to get involved?
4: They can find out about actions that are local to them and all over the country. They can sign petitions and they can really get actively involved amongst the community.
0: That was president of the Australian Palestine Advocacy Network, Nasir Meshni speaking with the wise Calvin Lee. You're listening to The Wire, independent current affairs on community and Indigenous radio. I'm Amina Shakur, coming to you from Melbourne. A big hello to our listeners in Alice Springs on 8CCC 102.1 FM. To our friends in Noosa on Noosa FM 101.3. And to the other side of the country to Radio Goulary in Broome, Western Australia. In a developing international crisis, tensions escalate in South America as Venezuela makes an unlawful invasion of two-thirds of Guyana's territory, sparking outrage across the global stage. The incident has raised concerns within the international community, with many expressing hopes that the situation does not escalate into a full-scale war. Gabriel D'Angelo speaks with Dr. Flavia Bellini-Zimmerman, a lecturer of political science and international relations at the University of Western Australia, to shed light on the unfolding geopolitical dynamics.
6: How did the situation between Venezuela and Guyana come about?
0: There is
7: a region rich in oil that is called Esequibo, with the presidency of Nicolas Maduro, like Venezuela, having a very strong nationalist narrative as well, and Maduro claims, um, territorial claims <laughs> over Essequibo. So now there is a big um, controversy on how to settle this issue because Basically, what Venezuela did, they invaded a sovereign country. And not only they are violating international law, but they put uh, South America in a situation where we could potentially have an armed conflict.
6: Some critics see this as a ploy by Maduro to distract the Venezuelan people from the catastrophic economic and social situation in the country and also to take oil and gas in the region. Is that a fair call or is there more to it than just that?
7: Essequibo, as I mentioned, it is rich in uh, minerals and, and oil. So for the short-term um, plan of Maduro, it would alleviate a little bit of the massive economic turmoil that Venezuela goes through. It is a distraction. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's bread and circuses, but definitely a distraction um, to the Venezuelan people. But it could even have more to it, because if Venezuela is successful, with the situation at Guyana, are they going to stop there? Like taking into consideration um, the leadership style of Maduro, is he going to start creating uh, more border issues in the region? Um, So so that's another big big question mark as well.
6: How likely or unlikely do you think that this could escalate into full-blown armed conflict? One thing that
7: is positive um, in this whole scenario is that Brazil is operating as a mediator to avoid a fully blown uh, armed conflict in the region. This is not in the interest of Brazil, who has border with uh, Venezuela or any other country in the region. So because Brazil is a leader in South America and Maduro, has had the support from um, left-leaning presidents, Luis Inácio Lula da Silva. The fact that Lula has so much leverage with Maduro is operating like a buffer zone. So this is a positive sign that there is a strong likelihood that we sh- we might have. Peaceful settlement. But on the other hand, Maduro doesn't seem to be a very rational person. It's too much of a gamble. They wouldn't be able to sustain for a long time also a military conflict there. But um, dealing uh, with strong men like Maduro, all things are possible.
6: Because Guyana is actually still technically a part of the Commonwealth of Nations. If Britain were to step in, in some sort of diplomatic role, would everything just stop automatically? Would Venezuela then back off?
7: Well, we don't know, because um, <laughs> Maduro is not a very rational person. But as I mentioned, absolutely, like not only the international community, but Britain itself. If the situation is not settled, Britain could step in. If it happened, I believe he wouldn't be able to sustain a military conflict for a long time, so um, is is a is a very tense situation, and um, the whole world is supporting Guyana.
6: There are other parts of South America with claims of land between borders. Could what is happening between Venezuela and Guyana, would this lead to a ripple effect among other nations in South America with border disputes?
7: That's an excellent question, and. Uh, A very long time, let's say, um, more than 200 years, there were wars in the region over territorial disputes, right? (laughs) So that's another problem as well. Setting the precedent, that's a big problem, and I had flagged it at the beginning of our conversation. Other leaders in the region could potentially start playing this sort of game if Maduro sets between inverted commas, a positive precedent for any other uh, authoritarian leaders in the region. Yes, there are many other uh, historical um, territorial disputes in South America. So it is a very dangerous precedent and that's why it is so important that this matter is dealt with
0: That was Dr Flavia Bellini-Zimmerman, a lecturer of political science and international relations at the University of Western Australia, speaking to The Wire's Gabriel D'Angelo. This Christmas, Australians are set to break spending records, with Finder's research revealing a projected expenditure surpassing $30 billion. This is a 10% increase from the previous year. As the cost of living increases, as the cost of living increases and everyday items become more expensive to purchase, as the cost of living increases and everyday items become more expensive to purchase, I speak to Dr. Angel Zong, Associate Professor of Finance at RMIT on tips to help you keep on budget this holiday season. Are we as consumers buying more this holiday season or is it just the cost of things at the moment adding to how much we spend?
2: Um, According to research by Finder, Australians are set to actually um, spend $30 billion on everything um, in this festive season. So that represents a 10% increase compared to the figure last year. Um, So if you um, count inflation and, um, which means the increase in the prices of goods, um, that is still a slight increase um, in the overall spending.
0: And what are the average uh, amount Australians expected to spend per person during Christmas?
2: So, the average Aussie is expected to spend around $1,479 this Christmas on a range of products and services, including presents, food, alcohol, eating out, and travel. But of course, they actually vary. across our state.
0: Can you suggest uh, to us some strategies we can use this Christmas season to help reduce overspending?
2: Yeah, um, because you know people are becoming increasingly mindful of their budget, um, So, but that, of course, doesn't mean there is a decline in the festive spirit. I think uh, we just need to recalibrate our priorities. So first, I will actually uh, encourage everyone to plan and prioritise. So start by, you know, identifying um, who are the recipients of the gifts, and then allocate a reasonable budget for each of your uh, recipients. And also allocate a reasonable budget for um, the agenda of your festive um, activities. So prioritize Meaningful gifts.
0: This holiday season can be emotionally triggering with, you know, the holiday marketing going on currently with the, the cost of living being uh, very high. What are some ways that we can reduce uh, financial stress? There are um, several tips that I can provide. Um, So first, um,
2: I would say um, every time when I ask a question, I always encourage people. um, Whenever there are you know major sales events, especially when it comes to Boxing Day, so well um, before that sales event, right? Always budget. um, Always list what you actually need instead of just buying everything that is on sale, because in a major sales event, everything can look so attractive and nice. So if you can work out your budget, that is how much you can afford, and second, what you actually need, then you can actually avoid overspending or buying things that you don't even need. Um, And the second tip is that only buy things that you can afford and only pay for them in a way that you can't afford. Um, that means try to avoid things like um, buy now pay later schemes um, and um, um, you know, um, accumulating excessive um, debts in credit cards. Um, because when you sign up to a range of buy now pay later schemes and credit cards, you may easily forget about one of the payments. And in that scenario, um, it is also likely that you will borrow more than you actually can afford. Um, so yes, budget and plan ahead um and also make sure that you don't overcommit to things that you can't afford
0: that was dr angel zong associate professor of finance at rmit speaking to the wire and unfortunately that's the end of today's show thanks so much for listening wherever you are in australia the Wire is a co-production between Community Radio Stations 3 Z in Melbourne, 2SER in Sydney, Radio Adelaide, 4ZZZ and Radio 4EB in Brisbane. With the great support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and the Community Radio Network. Check out all of our stories on our website at thewire.org.au. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Wire acknowledges the traditional custodians of the Kula Nations where the program has been produced. And we pay our respects to the Aboriginal elders past, present and emerging. I'm Meena Shiku coming to you from 3ZZZ Radio in Melbourne, Victoria. Thanks so much for your company and we'll see you next time on The Wire.